Welcome to Apparently Speaking, the podcast from Northeast Ohio Parent with your host, Miriam Connor. Hi, this is Miriam. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. My guest today says that over the past 30 years, a major shift has occurred in American culture, which is the transfer of authority from parents to children. He's here to discuss his book, The Collapse of Parenting, and such things like uh, the culture of disrespect that we're living in, kids and medication, kids being so fragile and overscheduled. He's going to um, discuss what happened and why, and what you need to know if you're raising a child today. Dr. Leonard Sachs graduated Phi Beta Kappa from MIT at the age of 19. He then went on to the University of Pennsylvania where he earned a PhD in psychology and an MD. He did a three-year residency in family medicine in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Dr. Sachs has been continuously certified by the American Board of Family Medicine since 1989. In 1990, Dr. Sachs launched a primary care medicine practice in Maryland. From 1990 through 2008, Dr. Sachs provided primary care to children and adults. In 2001, Dr. Sachs began visiting schools and speaking to parents. He's the author of Why Gender Matters, Boys Adrift, Girls on the Edge, and his most recent, and what he's here to talk about today, The Collapse of Parenting, which became a New York Times bestseller. Sponsored by the all-new Mazda of Kent. Your family safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety Picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, Mazda of Kent. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs. And U.S. News & World Report awarded Mazda Best Car Brand. Check out their new retail evolution dealership, the all-new Mazda of Kent, mazdakent.com. Welcome, Dr. Sachs. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, I'm very happy to have you. And, um, you know, I know you were on my friend, you know, Dr. Karen, A Love and Life, a long time ago. We were just talking about that. And ever since then, I kept saying, I have to have him on mine. I have to have him on mine. So it took me long enough, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, so that was a great episode um, as well. So we definitely want to talk to you about your, you have some great books. All the ones that you have authored are great, but your your newest one, The Collapse of Parenting. And so really want to talk about, about that book. What brought you to write that book? Well, I've been a medical doctor now for more than 30 years. And uh, in recent years, I've noticed uh, that parents seem uncertain, uh, confused, uh, unsure of their role. And I'll say to a parent, you know, <laughs> your kids uh, just told me that you're staying up past midnight uh, playing video games. Your daughter's staying up past midnight on TikTok. You know, they're, they're, you can't let kids have their devices in their bedroom. Uh, you need to take the phone no later than nine o'clock. And mom's like, oh, I couldn't take her phone. She'd totally freak out. Uh, look, it, parents have some fundamental responsibilities, and one is to ensure that their kid can get a good night's sleep without being distracted by a phone. It is not reasonable. It is not age appropriate to put that choice in the lap of a 14-year-old, the choice of whether or not to have their phone in their bedroom. 
needs to be made by the parent, not by the 14-year-old. It is, as I said, it's not fair to the 14-year-old. What is a 14-year-old girl supposed to say tomorrow in school if her friend says, hey, I texted you last night at midnight. How come you didn't answer? Is, is your daughter supposed to say, well, researchers have found that sleep deprivation in adolescence is a major risk factor in the etiology of anxiety and depression. <laughs> Way to win friends. That'd be great. <laughs> I heard to say, hey, my evil parents take my phone every night. Exactly. Well, I have back to the next morning. Uh, at nine o'clock at night, the very latest, you take the phone from your kid, you switch it off, and you put it in the charger, which from now on is going to be in the parents' bedroom. And in recent years, I found that parents just blanch with horror when I, not all parents, but many parents uh, will say, oh, I couldn't do that. My, my daughter would totally freak out. Uh, these parents are letting kids decide things that kids should not decide. And that was uh, very rare, uh, even 10 years ago. And now it's, it's common. So that's one example, right, of the kid deciding, you know, one one thing, and you give a lot of other examples, you know, of things they decide, but right, like the phone issue, to me, my kids have always done that. We have a place in the kitchen, they charge it at night, it's not in anybody's bedroom, um, never was, never will be, you know, while they're you know through high school. And it's not, it's actually, they won't freak out. I mean, someone might, but it's really not a big deal. It's just how it is. And you just say, I mean, that's just kind of how it is. You can have the phone, but it's, these are the stipulations or you cannot have the phone. And that's, is the problem that you're, you're seeing is because they don't want the, the kid freaks out and then they're mad at the parent. Is that the issue? Well, I think it's, it's even more fundamental. And, uh, so for example, recently, uh, mom brings her six-year-old daughter into the office. The child is sick. She's got a fever. She's got a sore throat. So mom tells me the story. And after mom finishes telling me the story, I say, okay, uh, it's time to take a look. And I go over to the child and I say, open your mouth and say, ah. And she shakes her head no in defiance, mouth gritted shut tight. And I said, uh, okay, mom, looks like I'm going to need your help. Uh, would you please encourage your daughter to open her mouth and say, ah. And mom said, her body, her choice. So that's kind of going one step further uh, away from the direction. The, the previous parent is intimidated by their child and, and says, well, I couldn't take her phone from her. She'd totally freak out. But now we have parents who think that being aggressively permissive, letting the child decide, is somehow virtuous. Uh, her body, her choice. Uh, okay, that's a slogan from the abortion rights movement. Uh, Mom is applying that slogan to her her, six, her throat check six year old daughter who doesn't want to open her mouth to get a throat swab. Uh, and boy, I, I never encountered that until huh. really quite recently. Wow. Yeah, you, you're and you're saying you know you talk about the authority transfer from parents to kids. And that's those, those great example right there. Um, instead of, I guess, obviously maybe just explaining to your child that yes, you know, this is not, you know, what we've always said to a doc, you know, for going to the doctor. Yeah, but I'm going to be, you know, I'm right here. So everything's fine. I'm okay with this. He's obviously just going to look in your throat. We have to do it. So see what's wrong. Open up. Yep. <laughs> but you see that transfer. And, and because of that, you're saying 
you say that, you know, kids are becoming less resilient, less, um, you know, physically fit, even more anxious, more depressed, definitely more fragile. It, and parents might think that like that mom may have, may have thought, well, I'm giving her power and control, but actually you're saying she was actually doing the opposite. Well, part of becoming a mature human being is understanding that you don't always get to do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, life is filled with situations where you have to do things that are not fun because you have to do them. And a mature adult has to understand that in order to be successful, uh, that life is not just uh, a trip to the amusement park. Uh, and this mom is failing to teach her child that and is instead uh, giving her child the mistaken notion that you get to choose. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. And that's a very harmful uh, lesson to teach your child. I just have to note, were you ever able to check her throat? No. Oh, no. Uh, absolutely not. And and this happens more and more. And um, I say to the parent, all right, um, so this could be just a virus, in which case antibiotics will not be helpful. Or it could be a strep throat, uh, or it could be a peritonsillar abscess, which is a life-threatening condition. Um, but uh, you're sure you don't want me to insist on looking at the child's throat? Yes, I'm sure. All right. Uh, so here are your options. Uh, we can try throwing antibiotics at this without knowing what it is, or we can uh, do nothing. And the parents always want antibiotics. Um, so I go ahead and prescribe the antibiotic and put a lengthy note to the chart saying I counseled the parent that uh, this is not best practice, that we have no idea what we're treating, and that uh, this is not uh, the guidelines of uh, any of the relevant organizations, American Academy of Pediatrics, but mom insists on doing this anyhow. So everything's in the chart that needs to be there, but uh, yeah, this is happening. Okay. Pay your copay at the door. Um, okay. So I know that you say there are some, some challenges that are, are more, you know, more American, I should say. I'm not, you know, for lack of a better word. And you talk a lot about this culture of disrespect and the live for now. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so when I meet with kids, as I will do uh, next week in Colorado and New Mexico, um, we talk about popular culture. And I ask kids, uh, you know, are they familiar with Drake and Bruno Mars and Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion? And they are, uh, even though their parents have never heard of these folks. Uh, and so uh, Bruno Mars had a huge number one hit with his song, That's What I Like, where he's uh, dressing a young woman he appears not to know and uh, offers her lobster, then champagne, then a shopping spree in Paris, then finally offers to just give him his wallet if she will just turn around and drop it for a player because that's what I like. He's offering money for sex. And again, this, this song got six Grammys, uh, a song celebrating sexual harassment. It was a weird uh, 
uh, Grammys, if you have watched it, because this famous actress, Janelle Monet, got up and gave this little sermon saying, I'm here to tell you the time's up for sexual harassment of any kind. Time's up. She got a standing ovation for her little sermon. And then like five minutes later, Bruno Mars got his Grammy for best song, for a song celebrating sexual harassment. Uh, in which uh, a man is offering a woman money for sex. There's no mention of love or courtesy or relationship. He's just offering her money. Turn around and drop it for a player because that's what I like. That's the lyrics of the song. Um, and, hey, if it feels good, do it. Whatever floats your boat, you do you, is now characteristic of American uh contemporary popular culture, the most popular YouTube videos, the most popular TikTok videos, the number one hit songs. It's a culture that actively undermines self-control. Uh, and it is a toxic culture. And I'm saying that not in a derogatory pejorative sense, but merely in a descriptive sense. The more a child is immersed in this culture, the more likely they are to be anxious, depressed, and disengaged. And again, I present that research at length in my book, The Collapse of Parenting. So that means that parents today have a new job that they didn't have as recently as 20 or 30 years ago. They have to create an alternative culture uh, for their child, and they have to know how to shield and insulate their ch child from the most toxic elements of contemporary American culture, which happen to be the most popular elements of contemporary American culture. And that's a full-time job and not a popular job, but it is it is necessary, like you said, and you do have, you know, all this research in the book. So it's not like just you're just, you know, saying this and you have all this experience, you know, you had, I think you in with 90, more than 90,000 office visits, visited, you know, countless schools and communities. And so you you're speaking from experience and you have the research, you know, to back it up too. So, right. You're saying we need to create an alternative culture and shield and protect them from this. And, and obviously that is hard. That is a full-time job because it's just there all the time. Like you said, even with that song, it's like, you know, and parents like, Oh, it's just a song. When we, when I was growing up, our songs had, you know, such and such in it and everything, but it's not really the same. And, 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 and some of them did, but you want to, you do want to show them from that. And then, you know, what would you say to the parents that say, you can't protect them from everything. You know, you can't have them so sheltered. What would you say to that? Well, sure. So indeed, when we were growing up, I'm old enough to remember when, uh, uh, you know, rock music was controversial yeah. and, and parents would say, you know, why can't kids listen to Frank Sinatra and Doris Day <laughs> like we did? Uh, so there have always been parents who said, you know, kids these days, they don't know what good music is, etc. And how is my comment any different from that? Or why should you pay any more attention to it than just that old kids these days remark? Well, again, all my recommendations are evidence-based, and we have good research on this point. So, for example, uh, to cite one study of many, uh, UCLA researchers looked at the most popular TV shows targeting children and teens from 1967 through 2017, looking every 10 years from 1967 through 2017. And they analyzed these shows in terms of what the show is teaching about what's important and what matters. And they found from 1967 through 1997, great consistency in American popular culture. 
whether it was the Andy Griffith Show in 1967, or Happy Days in 1977, or Family Ties in 1987, or Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 1997. Those are very different shows with very different production values. But the researchers found that they were actually very consistent in terms of the message that they were communicating. In all those shows, the most important thing is to do the right thing, to be a good friend, to tell the truth even if it hurts. Out of 16 parameters, those were the most important. Being famous, being wealthy, were number 14, 15, or 16 out of 16 throughout that time. But then 10 years later, it had flipped upside down. And suddenly in 2007, in the most popular shows like American Idol and Survivor, the most important thing suddenly is winning and being famous. Doing the right thing, that's going to get you voted off the island. Uh, so being famous and winning went from number 16 to number one wow. in 10 years. And it's only gotten worse since then. Uh, and the researchers wonder what happened in American culture between 1997 and 2007 that caused American values to flip upside down. And they concluded that what happened is social media. Mm -hmm. Social media transformed American culture because suddenly it was all about how many likes you got, how many followers you got, how many, uh, uh, how many views you got. And it has profoundly changed the culture in a bad way uh, uh, in that being famous and being wealthy is now the most important thing when that emphatically was not true in American culture in 1997 and earlier. Yeah, that's amazing. And I see it even with, um, you know, I even had a friend asking me the other day, it was like a, you know, career day or, or, or what is your, you know, dress up as what you want to be and all that and with little kids. And so many now it's, uh, you know, TikTok star influencer, you know, so like, well, what are they wearing? What's their, you know, but, but it's crazy how, you know, that that's what they're saying. Well, what do you want to be when you grow up or before, yeah. you know, the typical And again, we do that... have a good study. We have a good yeah. study on exactly that question. So uh, researchers asked 12-year-olds in the United States and China, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, and they gave them five choices. YouTube influencer, mm -hmm. astronaut, professional musician, teacher, professional athlete. In the United States, the by far most popular choice, more than half the kids given five choices, 54% of kids chose YouTube influencer as their preferred uh, occupation. In And astronaut was last, incidentally, for American kids. In China, by contrast, uh, astronaut was number one and social media influencer was last. Now, I'm not holding up China as a role of problems, but uh, I don't think we're doing real well either if we uh, now have a culture where more than half of American kids, their number one uh, career aspiration is to be a YouTube influencer, which is not a good choice as a career aspiration, if only because the odds are so long. Researchers estimate that at most, at most, one in 800,000 people who set out to be a YouTube influencer will succeed. Uh, and uh, way more than 90% of YouTube videos get fewer than 1,000 views. Uh, mm -hmm. So 
And and I personally have heard from uh, girls who say, you know, I'm going to be uh, the next Jojo Siwa. And they put all this time and effort into making this great video. And it is a great video, better than anything Jojo Siwa had ever made. But it, it fizzled. Uh, There's so many. Kids, kids expect the world to be fair. They think yeah. if my video is funnier and better than Jojo yeah. Siwa's, then I'll be more famous than Jojo Siwa. That's not the way it works. Right. Yeah. Um, and what about, um, I know you talk about another challenge that's kind of more American issue is the medication. And you're saying it's not really used as a last resort. A lot of times it's first resort. Yeah. So I wrote a book uh, for a French publisher uh, entitled Pourquoi les garçons perdent et les It's basically boys adrift and girls on the edge in one book. And working with colleagues in France, I learned that in all of France, there are fewer than 6,000 kids on medication for ADD. Uh, there are more kids in Northeastern Ohio on medication for ADD than there are in all of France, a nation of 67 million people. And I explore the reasons uh, for that in chapter three of my book, The Collapse of Parenting. But a big reason is that in this country, medication is the first resort. Let's try Vyvanse and see if it helps. Uh, whereas, Outside of North America, medication is a last resort. And the result is that American kids today are now 10, 20, 50, 90 times more likely to be on psychiatric medication, depending on which disorder and which medication we're talking about, compared to kids in France or Switzerland or uh, New Zealand. And I share those numbers again in chapter three of my book, The Collapse of Parenting. And why is that? Why is it a first resort here instead of a last resort like all these other places? That's a... a Interesting question, and there are several factors that I think are driving that. Uh, one is that in this country, our leading psychiatrists uh, basically work for the drug companies. So Joe, Joseph Biederman was for many years uh, chief of pediatric psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Uh, and then he was summoned to the United States Senate Judiciary Committee uh, where uh, Senator Charles Grassley, who was then chair of the committee, grilled him on why he is promoting these medications and are you taking money from the drug companies that you've never publicly disclosed? And he, he was, and he was taking millions. He was getting much more from the drug companies than he was getting from Harvard, but he hadn't disclosed that fact. Now, he broke no law. It's not unlawful for a doctor to take money from drug companies. It's not unlawful for a doctor not to tell anybody that, that they're not required to. But his action was unethical. It was not unlawful, but it was unethical uh, because he's functioning as a paid spokesperson for the drug companies. Uh, and as Senator Grassi found in his investigation, this was true across the board. He, uh, you know, the chief of the National Institute of Mental Health admitted to doing this. And Senator Grassi said, well, didn't you think you should disclose this fact? And he said, certainly not. And Senator Grassi said, well, doctor, why not? And he said, because it's standard practice. All the leaders in our field do this. Um, you know, and I've spoken on this topic in England and Germany and Switzerland, and I can tell you that in Germany and Switzerland, Harvard Medical School has enjoys no prestige. In this country, we, we're like, oh, wow, Harvard Medical School, yeah. that's really impressive. In Germany and Switzerland, they're well aware of this, and they, they do not hold Harvard Medical School in high regard, but we do. Uh, we, we think, oh, this guy's from Harvard. He must be a uh, really amazing. Um, so that's one of many factors. Another factor is the fact that in this country, direct to consumer marketing is legal. Uh, 
That's not true in uh, England, France, Germany, Switzerland. Uh, but in this country, you know, uh, you go online and, and uh, once you type ADHD, you're going to start seeing ads for Vivance and Adderall on your browser. That would be unlawful uh, in England, France, Germany, Switzerland, but it is perfectly lawful here. Uh, uh, there's only one other country on the planet that allows direct-to-consumer marketing of prescription medications, and that is New Zealand. But in my visits to New Zealand, I found there's actually very little of that. Uh, drug companies don't uh, market much direct-to-consumer in New Zealand, um, but they do in this country. So there's a number of factors uh, why this is so. But the, the point I make, uh, not only in The Collapse of Parenting, but also in my book, Boys Adrift, which has two chapters on ADD, is that you, the parent, have to be on your guard. You, the parent, need to recognize that uh, when you take your child to a doctor in this country with a concern about attention or a concern about mood, uh, it is extremely likely that the American doctor will say, well, let's try a medication and see if it helps uh, as a first resort. And that makes us an outlier. Uh, and uh, so you need to be on your guard. So, uh, you know, I spoke at Harvard, Harvard, <laughs> mentioning Harvard again. <laughs> I spoke at a conference at Harvard on, on learning and the brain. And I would like to tell you that my presentation was the buzz of the conference, but that would not be true. Uh, the presentation everybody was really excited about was a presentation by Dr. John Gabrielli from MIT. Dr. Gabrielli somehow got permission to give Adderall, very popular medication for ADD, to give Adderall to normal kids, kids without ADD, and then to withhold medication from kids with severe ADD and study the ability of kids in both groups to learn on and off the medication. And he found that uh, Adderall helps normal kids more than it helps kids with ADD. And that's a tremendously important finding because so many times as a physician, I have counseled parents and after evaluating the kid, I said, look, your, your son doesn't meet criteria for ADD. And the parents will say, yeah, but the other doctor gave him Adderall and it was such a help. The parents are interpreting the response to medication as though the response to medication had some diagnostic significance. This medication was prescribed for ADD. It was very helpful. Therefore, the kid must have ADD, right? Bzzz, wrong. Dr. Gabrielli's research and many others like it show that these kids help normal kids as much or more than they help kids with ADD. The response to medication has no diagnostic significance. All right, so the medication helps. It, it uh, compensates for the sleep deprivation. It improves mood. These medications are uppers. Uh, why not just give all the kids medication? <laughs> well, Everyone take it. <laughs> the, the reason why that's not a good idea is that we have 15 different studies from 15 different centers showing that these medications, Adderall, Vyvanse, Concerta, Metadate, Focalidotrana, damage the motivational center of the brain. Uh, and... You know, I was I was doing that presentation at another group of parents, and during question and answer, a father said, "Oh, come on, Doctor Sachs, I can't take this seriously. You're, you're claiming that Adderall and Vyvanse cause brain damage. Come on, if that were true," and I interrupted the father. I said, "If that were true, you would have heard about this before, right? From someone with better credentials from me. I'm just a family doctor. You would have heard about it from someone like Doctor Joseph Biederman, chief of psychiatric research at Harvard." And then I explained to him how Dr. Biederman and many other leaders in child psychiatry 
have admitted to taking millions of dollars from the drug companies, which they have not publicly disclosed. I wrote an article on this topic called um, American Child Psychiatry is Sick with Hidden Conflicts of Interest. Uh, so again, there's a lot of factors that are driving uh, the outlier status of the United States. The fact that American kids are now many times more likely to be on medication compared with kids outside of North America. That wasn't true 40 years ago. Uh, it is true today. Uh, but again, the, the, you know, parents are not social scientists. The first question for, that parents want answered is not why is this the case, but what do I need to know yeah. for my kid who's struggling? Uh, and, and that's what the books are focused on. Your family safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, the all-new Mazda of Kent, mazdakent.com. There's no inventory shortage here. Test drive a new Mazda today. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs. And maintenance is no charge for one year. Plus, Mazda certified pre-owned vehicles with a balance of a seven-year, 100,000-mile warranty. U.S. News & World Report awarded Mazda Best Car Brand. Come experience our new retail evolution dealership created solely with the customer in mind. We provide a premium experience that customers expect and deserve. Test drive a new Mazda today at your Mazda destination, the all-new Mazda of Kent, where my family shops for cars. MazdaKent.com, MazdaKent.com. There are a lot of other things and you can talk about, you've talked about that before too in your books, you know, if medication, you know, is not the first resort, which it shouldn't be, what are some other things to do and to try first? Yeah. They probably take more time, right? Maybe it, and more effort yeah. and all of those things than the medication, but well, so, there are other okay, so, things so what to do. So for example, in ADD, which is kind of a, a specialty of mine. I've published articles on this topic. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, the teacher's observation is always correct. If, if the teacher says your son's not paying attention, you could be quite certain he's not paying attention. There's no question about that. The question is, why is he not paying attention? Uh, so a very useful question to ask your son uh, when you get this report from the teacher uh, that he's not paying attention. Ask your son, what's your favorite subject at school? Emphasizing the word subject. So years ago, a uh, family brought their eighth grade son to me. He'd been diagnosed by a child psychiatrist as having ADD. He was on medication, but he was having side effects. So the parents brought him to me for a second opinion. And I said to the boy, what's your favorite subject at school? And he said, well, I love art and music and math, but I really hate English language arts, creative writing. Okay, that's very helpful. He's just told me he doesn't mm -hmm. like anything involving the written word. And I determined in one session that that boy had dyslexia. He doesn't have ADD. He doesn't need medication. It won't be helpful. Uh, stop the medication. Let's bring in other resources. And he's done very well. This was years ago. He's graduated from Georgetown. Everything's fine. Okay, but then another family brought in their middle school boy also diagnosed by a child psychiatrist as having ADD, also having side effects, uh, insomnia, uh, loss of appetite, mm -hmm. weight loss. And I said to this boy, what's your favorite subject at school? And he said, lunch. 
Okay, if the answer is lunch or recess, you need to take a step back. This boy knows that lunch is not a subject. If the boy tells you that lunch is his favorite subject at school, he's telling you he hates school. He doesn't have any respect for the academic undertaking. And then you need to take a step back. ADD is a cognitive deficit. It is an inability to take attention. Maybe this boy's problem is not cognitive, but motivational. Maybe the problem is not that he cannot pay attention, but that he doesn't want to pay attention. Yeah. And he doesn't want to pay attention because he hates school. Now, hating school is a big problem, but it is not ADD. And the appropriate remedy is not psychiatric medications. Often the best remedy is to switch schools. And again, my book, Boys Adrift, focus on how many schools have now become unfriendly to boys. And a boy hates school because the school hates him. Uh, and you need to find uh, another school. Uh, and I can, uh, at the risk of being com uh, commercial, I will recommend uh, University School, which I have visited on two occasions in Northeastern Ohio. Uh, because they really get this. This is an all-boys school that is really aware of what it means to be a boy-friendly school, uh, where uh, boys who were struggling in the co-ed school and were on medication at the co-ed school uh, flourish off medication. I visited U.S. on two occasions, and I have personally encountered many such boys. Really interesting. A lot more to talk about it, but definitely you have a lot more in the book. And I, I 100% agree with you. It should be very last resort. Um, and look at your research, you know, look at all the research that you have. I would encourage parents to do that. And let's talk about also overscheduling. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, I like how you said, you know, it's kind of becomes like, has turned into like this bragging rights almost. It's like you see anybody and I've been guilty of it too. You know, anybody, you run into anybody like, oh, how are you? Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. I have this and that, da, da, da. and we're in this and you know, Johnny's in yeah. 10 things and this person's a, and it's kind of like, oh yeah, me too. Yeah. We have this, you know, it's weird, but it's happened. So <laughs> As I said, my presentations are always evidence-based, and so let's briefly talk about one study that bears on this question of overscheduling. This is a study by Gene Twenge, who is just an enormously important researcher in this country uh, on every issue relating to child and adolescent development. And, okay, so three years ago, pandemic lockdown. Uh, late March, April, 2020, everything shut down. And we heard all these stories about kids becoming more depressed because they couldn't see their friends. So late in 2020, Jean Twenge and her colleagues did a survey of teens across the United States to assess how are they doing? Are they doing better or are they doing worse as a result of the pandemic? And she found, uh, summarized her findings, it's bimodal. She found that some kids are doing worse. And again, we read a lot about them in various online accounts. But some kids were doing much better. And she found you could ask a teenager in the fall of 2020 one question. And based on that one question, you could predict infallibly whether that kid was doing better or worse as a result of the pandemic. And that one question is, since the pandemic began, have you become closer to your parents? Mm -hmm. If the answer was yes, in every case, that kid is thriving. 
<coughs> thriving, actually doing better, less anxious, less depressed now than they were before the pandemic. But if that kid said, no, you know, I've just been holed up in my room playing video mm -hmm. games and doing social media, then that kid was doing much worse, much more anxious, much more depressed. And Gene Twenge interviewed these kids and, and tried to figure out why would kids be doing better? And what she found was that a lot of these kids were overscheduled. And before the pandemic, they were going straight from school to travel team soccer and then going to computer coding class and, and eating a sandwich on the way from travel team soccer to computer coding class. No time for a relaxed family meal at home with parents. Well, the pandemic shut all that down. No more travel team soccer, no more computer coding class. And now you're home with parents. And if parents took advantage of that to spend more time with their kids, kids are doing better. So the lesson that we get from that study, uh, the lockdowns are all over. Everything's back up now. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. Don't drive your kid from one activity to the next, eating a sandwich in the car on the way from one activity to the next. Because the unintended message you're sending is that being amazing and doing all these activities is more important than relaxed time at home with family. Don't send that message. Don't send that message. That's how you get kids who are anxious. Cancel the computer coding class. Prioritize supper at home with family. And again, in The Collapse of Parenting, I present the research showing that the more evening meals a child has at home with at least one parent, the more likely that kid is to be happy, the less likely that kid is to be anxious and depressed. It's a very powerful uh, effect. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And that research is there. And you're right. When everything shut down, it was, that was the the positive part of it um, for me that we got to spend so much time and it was the slowdown and we did really evaluate some things and say, okay, now that we're not doing any of this, what, you know, when it was starting to kind of open back up, do we, what did we really miss? You know, and ask the kids, like, what did you really miss of the things you were doing and the activities that you were doing? Is there anything we can just stop, you know, we don't have to start up again. And, um, you know, even just, you know, I noticed, you know, with my one daughter kind of just some things she was in this year and some things she added that she, she wanted to add, but then it was like, you know what, it's too much. So we need to take something away. And, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, they may not want to, but it's like, you know, I said, you, you got to either take this or this away. You think about it, decide. And well, she did. And well, you also need to ask, fine. you also need to ask your teen, why are you doing this? Yeah. And if the answer is because I want to impress the college on my college application, that's not a good reason. And you need to uh, cut back uh, because doing something because you're trying to impress a college on a college application is not a good reason. And you need to teach kids to have uh, better priorities. Some parents have said to me, well, I just, they have to be super busy. I think it's better. It keeps them out of trouble. Well, again, Gene Twenge has found that American teens are now much less likely to spend time with other teens than they were just 20 years ago mm -hmm. and much more likely to be online. So, yeah, I think it's better for a kid to be doing travel team soccer than to be spending their time looking at YouTube videos online. Uh, no doubt about that. But parents need to constantly inspire and lead their kids uh, to 
discover what it means to be human, to impart to your kids your understanding of the big picture. Why are we here? What makes life worth living? And that's your part of your job as a parent, uh, to teach your kids, to educate desire is the phrase that I use over and over again in the collapse of parenting. Because a lot of parents will say, well, I just wanted to be happy. Uh, well, you must first educate desire because if, if you let kids do whatever they desire, researchers found that what boys most want is video games and what girls most want is social media. You have to teach your kid to want something better, higher, deeper, more lasting than social media and video games. Yeah, that's definitely true. And so that it's not so important to them. And, and you do have to limit the time on those, if at all, you know, do they have to have the social media? Um, and then if they do, and what's the time limit? And are you checking it? There's so much, you know, involved with that, as you know. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Sex, I loved having you. I Will you come back? Sure. <laughs> um, I would love to have you back talk about some of your other books. Um, if you're willing to do that in the future, that would be wonderful. Very good. How can, great, how can listeners find you? So, find your books and all uh, that. Go to my website, leonardsax.com, L-E-O-N-A-R-D-S-A-X, leonardsax.com. And there you'll get every information about uh uh, the books, and I hope you'll sign up for my newsletter so that you'll uh, get what I'm uh, writing about. Uh, I send out a newsletter only once a month, um, and also you get advance uh, notice the next time I speak in Northeastern Ohio. Thank you so much, Dr. Sex. Really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Sponsored by the all new Mazda of Kent, your family's safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety Picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, Mazda of Kent. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs. And U.S. News & World Report awarded Mazda Best Car Brand. Check out their new retail evolution dealership, the all-new Mazda of Kent, mazdakent.com. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. Listen and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. Find the podcast and much more at northeastohioparent.com. Like Apparently Speaking on Facebook and email me at podcast at northeastohioparent.com.